Well, good morning. That was good worship, wasn't it? Praise the Lord for that. Well, yeah, so it has been good to get to know your pastor. Uh, we've eaten several meals together and visited. Meet your elders, visiting with them. I've met with your staff. I've met with several others of you. And um, I, I'm just looking forward to this journey together. Um, I hope you're not shocked or weirded out by kind of that announcement or where you are, kind of if it's a new word. Um, I plan in the next couple months uh, to visit all the small groups and hopefully we can get to know each other. I'm not just some stranger coming in, but um, I love the local church. Um, I've spent, as Doug said, the last 30 years of my life praying and working and networking with people, trying to find the best process. And it is a process. It's not just a, a magic wand or any certain thing, but a process that would help struggling churches. And I've been retired now a little over two years, so I'm, I've kind of been out of the game a little bit. My mom is slowly passing away with Alzheimer's, dementia, and uh, so I took early retirement to care for her. I've got a special needs daughter, so my wife's working and putting us all through right now. So give my wife a hand, man. She's the, she's the go-getter, right? <laughs> so anyway, in the middle of this turmoil of my life the last couple of years, right, COVID and everything else, um, what a pleasure to get to meet, again, your pastor, your staff, your church, and uh, just to begin to walk together through this process. And so look forward to our time together. This morning is going to be a different kind of sermon. I hope that whether you are thinking of yourself this morning or whether you are thinking of the corporate body of Christ called the church, that uh, God will speak to you in a special way, and I know he will through his word. Um, if you would join me, if you have your New Testament, so I'm going to go to Acts chapter 15. In a moment, they'll have that on the screen, but if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, there's many places in the Word of God that talks about the body of Christ. And I'll unpack that term in a little bit in just a minute, but I want to take you to one of the places, uh, Acts chapter 15, if you open your New Testament there. Before we do that, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask a lot of questions, not only today, but as we go through this journey together. How many of you practice what the medical staff says all of us should do at least once a year and get a physical checkup? How many of you listen to that advice and go every year? Wow, there's a lot of hands up. I'm impressed. Because the second question is the category I'm in. How many of you, though you know you should... And you're told to, even your wife will make the appointment, and you don't go. All right, so good. There's some of you like me here in this room, okay? Now, whether we do or we don't, most of us know what happens, right? We've all been to the doctor, right? You go to the doctor. One of the first couple things that always happens to me, I don't like it, especially the older I get. They want me to get on a scale. I have to tell them how much I weigh. Then they're going to take my temperature, right? And then they're going to do what really I want us to talk about a little bit is they're going to begin to ask you questions about your body. Everybody understand that? Right? That's what they're going to do. Always been a baffled by that. I'm going to him or her because they're the professionals, right? They've got the certificate on the wall. They've got all the degrees. They've got all the experience. But they're going to say, hey, Jim, what's going on? Do you have any problems? Are you hurting? And if you're hurting on a scale of 1 to 10, where is it and what is it? Right? They're going to just begin barraging me with all of these questions, right? Well, in Acts chapter 15, we see a question that the early church began to ask the body of Christ. And that really sets up what I have discovered in my tenure of working with churches is the best approach is to just as a doctor would ask you your questions about whose body? Your body. A good way to find out about a body of Christ, whether it's Wildwood Christian or any other name of a body of believers, is to ask them questions, right? And that makes sense? Because they are the body. They're the ones that are living it out. So one of the places, we're going to go to a couple places this morning, but one of the first places we see this principle of the body of Christ being asked a question is in Acts chapter 15. Go down to verse 36, if you would, if you've opened your Bible. I think they'll have it on the screen. If you want to look there, you're welcome. Here's what it says. It says, then after some days, I wish we can go back and get the context of everything. I'll unpack a little bit of where we are in Acts. But, but after a few days, after Paul and Barnabas had done some other things, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back 
And let's visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see what? What's the question? What's it say? Let's see how they are doing. Now get the context of this. Most of you in here, if you've been in the church very long, you'll recognize the name Paul and Barnabas. Maybe not Barnabas. He's not quite as popular as Paul. But Paul's the guy, right, who was the persecutor of the early church, right? He was literally killing Christians, right? Let that sink in. But then he has this spiritual experience, road to Damascus, right? Sees a bright light, comes to discover that he needs Jesus in his life that we've sung about this morning. Praise God, we've sung about Jesus, right? And Paul, or Saul at that time, name changes to Paul, and he becomes a flaming evangelist, we might say, right? Paul becomes this great missionary of the early church. And most of Acts little history for you if you're not, again, acquainted where we are. The book of Acts is all about the growth of the early church. It's beautiful to read and see how a few, right, the disciples moved to thousands or coming to know Jesus and all these exciting things are happening. And in the midst of that, there's this guy named Paul whose life's changed, starts doing these missionary journeys, going to city to city, right? So he's going from Wildwood to Eureka to Melville, right? He's just going from city to city around his region, and he's sharing the gospel, the good news. How many of you know the gospel, the good news, right? It's Jesus, right, that he died for our sins, that, that if we would repent of our sins and place our faith in him, that, that we would have eternal life, that our life would be radically changed and Paul would tell his testimony. We read about it in the book of Acts. We got all this going on, and in the middle of that, Paul gets this idea. Curiosity, maybe. I I think probably concern. I'll tell you, as a guy who works with churches, there's a lot of concern about churches, not just certainly with COVID and what's going on now, but always. The body of Christ is fragile. Do you know that? Is your body fragile? Get in a car accident and find out, right? Have somebody just haul off and punch you right in the face and find out if you're not fragile. Right? I mean, there's any number of things I could say. The, the physical body, the, the body of Christ is fragile. Paul was motivated probably by concern would be my guess, maybe curiosity. But he, he has this question, turns to one of his buddies. Hey, let's just let's do something radical. Let's go back and see how these churches are doing. Let's go back. Now, get the context. It's so important that you understand this. God is motivating Paul, right? We would assume or we would feel pretty certain of that, right? That somebody's wanting to do what God would want done for the health of his body. The church stops, God stops Paul from being an evangelist and says, hey, I want you to go check on the established church that's already in the family. I want you to see how they're doing. What's that tell you about our God? What's that tell you about the body of Christ? It says, let's go see how they are doing. Who does they represent? Who's they? I've already said it a couple times, but they are the churches, right? The church, again, make sure we're all on the same page, is not this building, right? We say we're going to church. We've come to church this morning, but, you know, we mean by that that we're going to gather as the church, right? The church, if you want two good words, are people who gather and go, right? We gather and we go. That's about all we do. That's all God wants us to do. We gather to worship and we go to share the gospel. That's pretty simple, the church. We're the gathered ones and we're the sent ones. We're we're the ones that God has accepted into his family as, as we've prayed and repented of our sins. And he said, I've got a mission for you. I want you to glorify me and I want you to share my name with everybody, right? And so Paul says, hey, I want to go back and see how they are doing. Let's unpack that word they a little bit. If you do a Bible study, you'll find out they or you. I can look out at you at Wildwood Christian Church. In the Bible, you're called a family. You're the family of God, right? Everybody familiar with that terminology? Or I can look out there and say you're the children of God, right? The Bible calls us that the churches are his children. I can say you are his ambassadors, I could say all these biblical terms, but the most significant metaphor for the church is the body of Christ. The body. Unpack that a little bit, and we'll unpack it a little bit more. But when he says they, he's talking about the body of Christ 
his son, right? Christ is God's son, and God cares about the body of his son. How many of you care about your children and grandchildren? Say amen. What if something happened to their body? Someone shot them. Would you care? Absolutely. What if someone's cussing them out in the parking lot? Would you care about that? And you care about everything about your kids. Everything about their body. You want them to be healthy. You want them to be strong, right? Everything like that. God cares about his body. That's my first major point that I want to make sure is deep within your heart before you leave today. Read it. God cares about churches, his body. He cares about this church, this body of Christ. He cares about the one down the street. I don't know if you do, but he does. He cares about the one down the street. He cares, listen, he cares about the one down in the inner city of St. Louis. I can tell you the names of some of those down there. My most recent mission trip was to uh, Pakistan. How many of you have been to Pakistan? No hands ever go up when I ask that question. I don't understand that. I mean, come on, why aren't you going to Pakistan? People think I'm crazy. My wife thought I was nuts. God cares about the church in Pakistan. Amen? So every church, every body of Christ that is his, he cares about, and he is concerned about. Now, the why I want to make sure you get this is because every one of us in this room that have been in the church almost a day knows that God loves each one of us individually. Individually, That's a part of the gospel message, right? Little children, we sing, we were taught this song, Jesus loves the little children, right? Y'all sing that around here? Ministry of music, right? Yeah. We sing, he loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Most of us in this room have no problem getting a concept and we've been taught over and over, God loves me. Amen. I'm glad he loves me. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about that God loves and cares about the corporate body as a whole. Not individually, yes he does, but that he cares also corporately for that local body of believers. And that's what this passage is talking about, this uh, Acts chapter 15 passage, but it's really all through the Bible. Let me give you a multiple, uh, uh, multiple choice question quiz. My wife's a teacher. How many teachers we have here? Talk about a tough time, right? It's been crazy, right? We're online, we're not online. Wear a mask, do this, right? It's all the craziness in teaching right now, right? But we're going to go to school here. Let me give you a question. Most of the New Testament letters are written to who? Individuals, government leaders, groups of believers, or Hollywood actors? Now, turn to the person next to you and tell them your answer. What, what do you believe? What do you believe? What most of the letters in the New Testament is written to who? Now, if you say B or D, do not sign up for biblical trivia. All right? If, if you say B and D, listen, just stay home that night, okay? I don't care if they want you to pay money or whatever. Do not show up for biblical trivia, okay? So it's not B or D. Then you have A or C. How many of you say A? All right, there's about one or two in the New Testament, but I've noticed I said most of the New Testament letters, right, Doug? Most of them, okay? Most of them are written to groups of believers. Now, I'm emphasizing this because, listen, it took me a long time to get this, and, and, you know, it's not like it's the most important thing, but I, like you, when I read the Bible, I say, what's for me? What is God saying to me, right? Now, that's legitimate. That's not like heresy or something. But that letter, that book in the Bible, was not originally written for you. It was written for a corporate body of believers. That's another indication that we have of how much God cares about churches. And what you're going to see is my second point in a minute. But that he cared enough for each one of them to write personal letters to these corporate bodies. My father-in-law who I hate to always admit it, but I have to be honest, you know, even in the pulpit, I need to be honest, amen? We don't get along real well all the time, my father-in-law and I. We're vastly different on a bunch of different levels, that's irrelevant, but he is so good at doing many of things. And one of them is he writes letters. He just had a great-grandson born, literally, this baby is just like days old. He's already written and delivered a letter to this grandbaby. Why would he do that? Because he cares about that baby, right? He wants them to know something about his heart for him, right? 
And so someday he'll read that letter. It'll mean a lot. All of my kids have received letters, all this guy. I've never received one. <laughs> I think I maybe have. I <laughs> being facetious there a little bit. But my point is, God writes these letters to, to these bodies of believers that he loves, right? And he's got a message for them that is so pinpointed of what he wants to do. So listen, when you read the book of Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, name it over and over. Those are written to groups of churches just like Wildwood Christian Church. And God did it because he cared for them. But number two, my second major point, which I think is next on my outline. No, my next outline is to emphasize it again. So let me hit it. I put a couple extra words in here. First point still, God cares and loves churches and wants them to be healthy and strong. That's his desire. That's what he wants. I don't care if it's in the city, if it's in the county, if it's in Pakistan or where it is. Just like you want for your children and your grandchildren, God longs for that to be true for local bodies of believers. A bit of bad news. I love bringing good news. But as I work with churches, and many of you may not know this because you don't go visit hundreds of churches in a period of time. It's a lot of unhealthy and weak churches. One of the things, well, I won't tell the illustration, it'll take too long, but let me just tell you these percentages real quick. Most studies say that 70% of churches are unhealthy and weak, declining, dying churches. 70%. Now, take any group of churches you want. I know you're a Christian church. I come from a Baptist background. It's not how my family was raised. Don't, you know, at the time tell you my whole story, but my point is that's the bubble. That's the subgroup I was in for a period of time. They have 46,000 churches, the group I was with. 70% of them are in trouble. Now, that's what some studies say. Listen to this next quote. Most, most people, and the ones I, I believe, it's 90 to 95% of those churches that are unhealthy and weak. Now, I'm just giving you those to help you understand how, how much the American church, now this is in America, the American church is struggling. It is struggling. Some would say, like I, I took my wife through the building. I'd already walked through the building, Doug, so I took Deanna all through the building. And in your children and in your, your uh, uh, youth area, you've got these lines like a heart line, right? It goes beep, 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 you know, kind of shows life. Many churches are flatlined. If a church is flatlined, what's that tell you? They're almost for sure gone, right? You can, boop, boop. <laughs> Any doctors in here, right? You, we, you might watch, you know, uh, what's one of our shows we like? Uh, the intern, the resident. I like watching the resident. They, they can bring someone back to life, right? Churches can bring, be brought back to life, right? Just like people can. I've seen it. We've done it as churches and people I work with. But listen, that isn't the kind of church you want your church to be, right? You don't want to be the guy, the church laying there, boom, you know, trying to resuscitate you. Now, you're not, but I'm just wanting you to know the church in America is struggling. There's not a lot of life. There's not worship, life in worship. There's not life in preaching. There's not life at being changed, okay, in a lot of different churches. So when I put that up there, that that's the heart of God, Think about you as a parent, if all of your children are unhealthy and hurting and weak and struggling, where would you be emotionally? Where would you, what would you want for them? God longs for that to change. I, I, I want to see it changed, and I'm not God, obviously. Here's my second major point. I only have two. The church must take specific intentional actions to be healthy. Now, I'm going to give you another little talking point here. I've written, I'm, I'm the author of that little sentence there, if it's even a sentence, okay? I'm not, I told another couple earlier, I'm not the most educated kind of guy. I'm the, I come from a construction background. Right? I'm a guy that wants to get stuff done. I want to see action. I want to see growth. I want to see, you know, things be what they should be. I mean, I may, I may do it wrong, okay? That's why we're going to put a team together. We haven't mentioned that yet. We're gonna, we need, I need help, right? But my point is this, this sentence I put together, I want to ask you, what do you think? What do you think? is the most important word in that phrase or sentence. <laughs> That's not sentence. That was my point. Okay, now wait, now wait. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at it. I want you to turn the person next to you and tell them what you think the most important word is. Okay? Go ahead and tell them. Now, obviously I have a word, right? Or I wouldn't be asking that question. And I'm not saying I'm absolutely right. 
But I'm going to say I like the word must because it is not. That's gone. Please keep it up there. Let's keep that up there. Keep that phrase up there. Uh, churches must. It's, it's, it's not even an option. Okay. It, they must. Churches must. So must is a big word. Okay. This is not optional. This isn't like, well, it's Jim's opinion or, you know, it's, you know, preachers think it's a good idea or any subgroup of anybody just, you know, came up with some idea. It must happen. Okay. But I don't believe that's the most important word in there. Okay. Another word is actions. Okay. Churches are notorious. Again, I don't know your church real well. I'm totally preaching and talking objectively, okay, at this point, before you this morning. Most churches are great at talking and little at action. You got committee meetings. You got all this stuff. Everybody's talking. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody, I mean, it's just amazing, right, how much talking we do about what we should do or what the community needs or all this other stuff, but little on action. That's not, to me, the key word up there. Very important. Got to be people of action, right? God said, be hearers and doers of my word. Blessed are you if you do my word, right? The Bible's all about doing, right? I mean, not all. I mean, we're also to be. But there is an emphasis that we must be doers, action. So I'm getting a little narrow on words, right? <laughs> what word, Jim? Specific or intentional? My key word that I want to emphasize to you is intentionality. Intentionality. It's so missing in America's church. That God wants his church or that we as a church to be healthy and strong have to be intentional. Specific intentional actions even. There was a time that the church could act very generally. Just have kind of a general, every church does the same thing kind of thing. And it would quote work or was fine. But it must be specific now, not general. And then intentional is that we literally need to know. Now, this is where we're going to go for really the balance of my time with you this morning. We really need to discover and know what is wrong or what is healthy for each church and then be intentional to do it. Just as, listen, stay with my metaphor, just as that doctor tells you something and you go out and intentionally do it to have a healthy body. Is it exercise? Is it taking a pill? Is it a surgery? What is it? You must intentionally decide, hey, I'm going to do this right? It's the same for the local church. There must be intentionality. There must be a willingness to do exactly what God wants us to do. So there is a desire that God wants us to be, put this word in your notes if you're taking notes. I'm seeing some of you go up and down with your head. The intentionality is tied with another key word. People have asked me for years since I started working intimately with multiple churches, if you can narrow it down to just a couple things, Jim, in fact, I, I told myself not to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I, when, when I'm on an airplane, people always want to know what you, who you are and what you do, right? So you're flying to Pakistan or wherever in the world you're going, sitting next to somebody within three questions, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's hard to say you're a preacher, isn't it? I mean, it is, I don't know why. It's just the whole world changes when you tell somebody you're a preacher, right? They can't talk how they want to talk. They can't do what they want to do. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. It's weird. It just makes things uncomfortable. So here's what I do. I have the last few years. I'll tell people I'm a church doctor. They'll go, what? <laughs> tell me what that means. Oh, they, 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 I mean, they're just all inquisitive, right? And I tell them, man, I'm a guy just like a doctor. I help sick churches or, or weak churches become strong, and that's what I do. And, and it's all okay, okay? So there is, why am I telling you that story? Go back to my notes. Oh, relevant, okay. So people will ask me, see, I'm out of my notes now. Um, people will ask me, well, narrow it down for me. Just give me a couple words, Jim. And I say there's two R words. You want to find out why, what intentionality is to God in this generation at this time? It's relationships and relevancy. It's relationships. This lady over here right here said she stayed in this church after her kids left because she was in a small group that she liked the people. Right? And I said relationships to you. You know why I said relationships, but that's why I said that to you. And then number two is it's about relevancy. It's about, is it relevant to my life? Is that church relevant? Do they meet my needs? Are, are they relevant to my family? Are they relevant to the culture? Relevancy is huge. Now listen to this. Relevancy changes, right? When, you were, when I was a teenager, the church or anything else, 
what was relevant is not what today is relevant, right? Now, here's probably going to be the challenge to most of us in this room. When you think about life and you think about the church, if God wants us to be intentional and relevant, there is then this changing of the way God does things. I saw one guy nodding his head back there. God changes his ways. I'm trying to say it the most gentlest way I can to be accurate. He doesn't change, okay? Everybody hear me say amen. God does not change. Don't go out here. Breeden says, see that Baptist, he thinks God changes. That is not what I'm saying. God's ways change. I can take you to the first chapter of Hebrews where it talks about generationally he's changed. But I can take you to multiple places, and I'm going to have you read one passage with me in a minute that is radical, that shows that how God's ways changes with even walking my walk with him and his walk with me and as we journey through life together. And it's the same for churches. If you want to read that with me, go to Genesis 22. Be careful, this will change your life. This is a dangerous passage. Everybody familiar with Abraham? Everybody, my Bible trivia people, you still with me? All right, Abraham, right? Let's read the most famous story about Abraham here. And then let me, we're still talking about intentionality. We're talking about churches must do specific intentional actions to be healthy and strong. Listen to this story. It's in 22nd chapter of Genesis. It's 14 verses. It's long, but it's worth it. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Say tested. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, take now God. He there is God. And he, God, said, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. How many of you say amen? That's a test. A huge test. I have three children. I wouldn't want to do that with any three of them. Unbelievable. So Abraham, what did he do? He arose early in the morning. I mean, he got after it. Why is Abraham known as the father of faith? Yeah. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood of the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place which God had told him. Now on the third day, say third day. Say that because we, it's not clear exactly when Abraham is about, if you know the story, which I'll read it, he's about ready, to, he's got the knife raised, he's about to do what God told him to do. We don't know the exact time past, we know it's over three days, I think probably about a week, certainly three to five days, okay? So just keep that in your mind. Not a long time, we're not talking about months, we're talking about a few days, okay? Since God said, go do this radical thing, right? On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. And he saw the place afar off. What place? The place where God said to do the intentional action that he's supposed to do. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. And the lad and I, that's his son, that's Isaac, said, I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife. And the two of them went together. <laughs> Isaac's not no dummy. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father... And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, look, the fire, the wood, and there's the burnt offering. But Abraham, and Abraham said, my, my son, God will provide the lamb of the burnt offering. He's like, dad, where's the lamb? <laughs> What's happening here, man? This doesn't feel real good. I bet it was tense. What do you think? Probably pretty tense. Then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in the order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Oh, my goodness. Tension just came to a whole nother level. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I mean, he's standing like this, folks. I'm right-handed. <laughs> I mean, he, he's about ready to do it. And what's, your, what's the next word in your Bible? Okay, if I ever write a book, parentheses, story, set it aside, just a second, Doug, I think I told you this. If I ever write a book, it's going to be called But Theology. B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, But Theology. Circle them, underline them in the Bible anywhere you're reading. It basically means that everything from that word, B-U-T, is what God wants to focus on. What happened preceding is just like information. 
I can tell you a hundred examples. I'm just telling you, this will revolutionize your Bible reading. Just pay attention to the conjunctions. I think it's a conjunction. Again, not the smartest English guy and all that stuff. B-U-T, the buts in the Bible. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Same response he gave before. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have, with, you have not withheld your son and your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was the lamb stuck in the thicket. Is that not a picture of Jesus, right? Is that not that Jesus said, I will take it, I will do it, right? He's in the thicket. And so Abraham went, took the ram, offered it on the burnt offering instead of his son. Praise God for grace. Anybody say amen? Unbelievable. Can you imagine Abraham coming off that mountain and going, whoo, man, that was close. What about Isaac? Oh, man, he's, he's got to go change his diaper. I mean, I mean he, is, he is like unbelievable relieved, right? Unbelievable. Now, Jim, why that story? We're talking about God changing. We're talking about intentionality. Oh, I've said it for years, and I don't mean it like ugly or anything. It's just to me what I see and what I've been a part of, my own life in churches. The normative, normative, average church in America on this day would have sacrificed their firstborn. Can anybody think and tell me why? Why would the normative average Christian would have sacrificed their firstborn that day? Because, listen, because God said it three days ago. God said it a week ago. And what God said a week ago, by God, I'm going to do today. What? It was a test. Well, I didn't know that. I don't know that. Yes, if you listen to God, he sent another word. He sent a relevant, intentional new action that you're to do. No longer sacrifice your son. Get the lamb. Sacrifice the lamb. Right? God said, I have a new plan for you today that doesn't match yesterday. You know what the average church does a given month is what they did last year on that given month. You know what they do Two years from now on that given month is the same thing they did the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. Somewhere, the longer churches are together, same as individuals. We're just a, the body of Christ is just a makeup of a bunch of individuals, amen, right? We do the same thing individually. We do the same thing over and over again in our spiritual lives because that's what God told us to do back when as if God never has a fresh word for us or a new action to be intentional. Now listen, here's the punchline. If that isn't punched you enough, God wants the church to be so relevant that every generation hears the gospel in their own heart language, in their own culture. And the older we get in churches, it's a relatively young church as I'm looking out right now to a lot of churches I work with. Okay, I'm talking your, your ages, okay? told you all, you're a young couple, you're going to be at the door, right? I don't know how old you are. But I mean, most churches, many churches, there's people only over 70, 80 years old. Now, praise God for 70 and 80 years old. I'm getting closer every day, right? I'm going to be 60 real soon. But listen, the church is not about my preferences or about yesterday. It's about what God wants today and tomorrow. I'm going to tell you, that is just, that's the Bible. That's the gospel. Every generation must hear the gospel in a relevant, relational way. I went to one church. I haven't told many stories yet, and I'll tell you more as we go through this journey. But I was doing an interim at a church not far from here. You'd know the church probably. And I'll tell the short version. I'm probably going too long already. Does that say zero? Am I already minus four? Okay, I got to go. All right. I was told, and I, was, I ended up meeting them. My wife and I met their family. We took them out to eat. This guy came up and told me I hadn't been there a week or two. We want songs sung from the 50s, and we want them sung like they were in the 50s. Hymns. He said, that's the only way it can be done. And he's telling me with his finger, preacher, I'm telling you, you're going to change this church. You got to sing hymns like the 50s and do it just like that. Okay. 
Well, you would guess from what you've already heard of me, we had a lot of conversation over the next couple of weeks and months with that guy, right? He ended up repenting of that view. Praise God for him. I wept and cried when he did. But my point is, he truly believed that somehow because God blessed the hymns of the 50s, and I'm glad he did, that somehow those were sacred today if done the same way. Now listen, I'm sorry if you believe that, but God can sanctify, he can use anything, anytime he wants. He used a donkey in the Old Testament, right? I mean, he, God is God. And so we've got to be relevant, intentional is the point I'm trying to make, and I'm probably going too far there. All right, let's go to one last place real quick, and then I'm done. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read one more passage, and then we're going to have prayer. Does that sound good? Say amen. Yeah, amen. Get down, preacher. You're done too much. All right, here we go. All right, so you got point one. I think we have another review up there. Probably passed it, but God cares about churches. He cares about Wildwood Christian. Amen? And by the way, I'm going to ask you individually, collectively, small groups, how you doing? Same question. Okay? I'm going to ask you. Get ready. How you doing? You're going to be asked that in survey form. You're going to be asked that in a lot of different ways because you are the body of Christ. And the reason I'm asking, the reason we're going to ask, plural, is because we care. Because God cares. And we want to see this church be all that God wants it to be. Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation 2 and 3, there are the letter of, to seven churches that Jesus himself wrote. Notice their red letter. Very important in the subject that we're in, which is church revitalization. Though it applies to personal revitalization, these are church letters specifically to churches, similar to what's in the rest of the Bible, as I've already mentioned. But here we have to one specific church, Church of Ephesus is what I want to read. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven candles in his right hand and walks amidst the seven golden lampstands. There's so much to preach in here. I won't be able to say it all, but here's what that means. We know it from chapter 1 if you want to look back. I'm not speculating. The seven stars are the seven pastors or messengers who share the gospel regularly. He says he does what with them? He holds them in his right hand. What does the right hand of God symbolize? The strength, right, of our God. When Stephen was stoned to death, it says Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. It's a place of high position, but also a high accountability and responsibility, okay? So he holds the seven elders, in your case, by the right hand, right? And then he walks amidst the seven golden lampstands. You can probably guess what those are. Those are the churches. And he walks among them. Okay, listen. A doctor does a bunch of tests. We're going to do a lot of things to try to figure out the health and the issues and whatever in the life of this church. We do a lot of churches. But I'm going to tell you this. God already knows, right? Jesus knows. Jesus walks among this church. Oh, he's walking through here today, right? He knows our hearts. He knows us from the inside out, outside in, everything. And so we need to plug into him, right? Amen? And we're going to do that. That's why we're going to end in prayer in just a minute, all right? But then he says, I know. Circle, circle that, underline that. He already knows. He knows. Ten different things he lists positive about this church. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who are apostles and are not. And you have found them to be liars. And you have persevered. You have patience. You have labored for my namesake. You have not become weary. Ten different things he found to say, attaboys. Way to go. I'm going to tell you, we're going to find a lot of good things about, about uh, Wildwood Christian. I, I already know that, okay? And there's a lot of good attaboys. He, the Jesus, in these letters, he always starts with a positive. By the way, this is a great outline if you're going to confront somebody you're in disagreement with. Always start with what's positive. Always start with it. And end with positive. You'll see Jesus do that in just a minute in this letter. It's beautiful. Every parent ought to do that. I wish I did that with all my kids every time. Start with positive. Share my problem. Start with, end with positive. Have prayer. Life would be a lot different if we use that formula. This is the formula Jesus used in these letters. Now listen, he has 10 things good to say about them. Most of us, we don't, the Bible doesn't say to do this. Most of us live by this scale thing. If there's more good in my life than bad, then I'm okay. I'm better than the average person. We rationalize in our minds, right? I do it, you do it, yep, we all do it, right? Well, compared to him, I'm okay. Compared to her, oh, 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 oh. Listen, he says 10 good things, but listen to the next verse, verse 4. Remember, therefore, no, nope, I missed it. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. 
Let me tell you, here's a scale when he says that. Which is most important, first love or all these 10 things? First love, man. Nothing more important than our love for Jesus. Nothing more. Nothing more important than a body of Christ, but that we're in love with the Son of God, Jesus. And that we're heads over heels in a relationship such that we can't wait to talk to him. We want to sing about him. We want to, it's just, it's, it's incredible, right? Now, it doesn't mean we're always, always there individually or whatever, but that is the most important, right? What Mary and, Mary and Martha, remember Mary and Martha's story? Martha busy all the stuff, but Mary, she's doing one thing. She's got it. Martha, tune into Mary, right? That's the story. So my point is this. Listen, there could be a lot of good things. We're not going, we're going to try to be like Jesus. We're going to find specific things. You're going to say, well, all you're doing is nitpicking. Well, that's this and that. Well, listen, hey, we're going to talk about the good things, but we're going to deal with whatever issue there is, right? Because that one issue could hurt the whole body of Christ. How much cancer does it take to hurt the whole body, right? You know the analogy, right? Just takes a little. So Jesus says, you've left your first love. Now, the key word of all seven letters is the next phrase. Remember, therefore, where you're fallen and repent. Many of us in this room have been taught, or we believe, that the word repent is used for those that are on outside of the church to come into the family of God. If they'll repent of their sin, place their faith in Jesus, they'll go to heaven, live happy ever, everlasting, right? Is that true? It doesn't happen in my life, right? It's pretty tough still, right? But repentance is primarily used in the Bible for who? The church, for us. Do your study, check me out, see if I'm right. Here he says it to the church, repent and do first works or else I will come to you quickly and do what? God even tells us, Jesus even tells the consequences. If you don't do it, I'll remove your lampstand. What's that mean? Your influence, your significance, your you know, ability to transform, right? Light transforms darkness. Whatever way you want to interpret that, God is going to remove that light from that body of Christ. Not all churches, not everybody, but that one, right? This is the church of Ephesus. I will have consequences upon you if you don't repent. That's what he says. Very strong. Credible. I don't even like to say that, quite honestly. But to me, the best part or the most significant part and why I want to make sure I read this whole letter is but um, he says some more good stuff, as I said. But you have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and I also hate. I reread that about them. You can go do that. But they, they were doing a good job with that, that uh, cult or that subgroup of the culture that was teaching terrible things. Now listen to this. He who has an ear. If you have an ear, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. You have an ear. He who has an ear in the body of Christ. What's it say? Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice it's plural. He's talking to one church, but he says plural. Most people believe these letters were circular letters. They went to all the churches in Asia, but he's talking and sent it to the church of, of Ephesus, okay? But he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, the most important thing we can do in any revitalization, revival movement of anything we want to see better than worse is hear what the Spirit says. Not Jim Breeden, not the pastor, not the elders, God, what do you say about me? What do you believe what is happening here or what needs to happen here? So we want to open our spiritual ears, church, for the spirit that is still speaking to his church. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, even though his ways can change? Do you believe the spirit is the same, Jesus is the same? Yes, I know you do. So here's what we're going to do. It may challenge some of you. We're going to have an old-time fashion altar call. Everybody say amen. Yeah, a little shy there. Okay. All right. So we're going to have just a prayer time, really not an altar call. But I'm going to ask this. If you've been in this church longer than 10 to 15 years, I want you to come forward and stand right here in front of me. You've been here a long time, 10, 15 years. Would you come forward real quick? 10, 15 years. Come on. Thank you. Even out of the sound booth. All right, face me, face me. Just stay facing me. I first want to thank you guys. I want to say praise the Lord for you. But um, I want to ask you to come first because you've been here the longest. And you know the most.
I want to challenge you to be honest. I want to challenge you to think about this body of Christ when we ask questions. And I pray you'll lead the way to the rest of this church to saying, here's what we need to do for the next generation. Right? It's not about us. We've been here. We praise God. We love this church. But man, we, we want to see the next generation come to know the Lord. Amen? We all have children. We all have grandchildren. We've got people. My wife and I drove through almost all of Cherry Hills this morning. We were early. I used to play golf at Cherry Hills, right, years ago on a golf course there. And, and all those houses, those people need Jesus, right? How are we going to reach them? What's, what's going to happen? What's the Spirit want us to do to do that, right? We need a heart of willingness from those who have been here the longest. If you've been here from five to ten years, would you come join them? Five to ten years? Maybe fill in this hole. There's nothing holy about this hole right here. So let's fill this hole right here in front of me, okay? Come on. You're afraid I'm going to spit on you, aren't you? I've been going at it here. All right, five to ten years. You've been in this church for five to ten years. This girl told me today she moved all the way from Oklahoma. been here six years. I was like, wow. You don't have many children leaders or family leaders travel that far by themselves for a church. That's awesome. All right, come in a little tighter because we're going to invite some others, all right? Five to ten years. Okay, if you've been here less than five years, would you come and join us? If you've been at this church for less than five years. Now listen, I know some of you may be guests. I haven't talked to online people. We're about ready to have a prayer. I'm going to ask you if you're at home. My wife and I have watched at home for, at our church for over a year now. We literally do communion at home. We pray together. We, we listen, all that. So I know you've been here. You're going to pray with us in just a minute. And I know you'd come forward if you could. Um, and if you're a guest here, and I know there are guests. I've talked to them. Uh, you can join us if you would like. You don't have to, but we would welcome you to because I know if you're here, you care about this church. Uh, blessing to my testimony, this couple heard I was preaching. I ministered or met with their son some five, seven years ago, and they wanted to hear me preach, see if I was a real dude or not. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them grade me after a while, so we'll hear, so I'm a little nervous. Um, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We want to kick off this time of revitalization. Again, what is it? It's, a, it's like a checkup. Right? We're just getting a checkup. It doesn't mean this is a terrible church. doesn't mean anything seriously wrong. Don't go out of here and say, well, there's something really wrong, right? Preacher's leaving. Blah, blah, blah. There's nothing, okay? Nothing I know of, okay? I've met with the elders multiple times, the pastor, all this kind of stuff. It, it's just a time to say, hey, it's a unique time in the life of this church, and, and we want to think about the next generation. We want to be who God wants us to be. We want to be intentional. We want to be relevant. All those things I've just said is the only thing behind this. Everybody say Amen. <laughs> Okay? You're not a perfect church. I know that because there aren't any. You're not the greatest church on the planet, right? It's just we're, we're, we're just an average, normative church, and we want to ask God to show us who he wants us to be going forward, okay? And we're going to unpack how we're going to do that with each of you in small groups and a lot of different ways so that you'll have clarity about the process, okay? Right now, if you have questions, you can go to your staff. You can go to any of the elders. They're fully aware of everything we're going to do, and we've talked about it with all of them, okay? All right? But I'm just going to lead us in a word of prayer, and I'm asking you to start today praying, uh, yes, for yourself, but also one another, right? Like, if you know, every church has stuff. I mean, I can sit here and talk about all my stories. Every church has stuff. If you know of stuff, you know what that means, right? Problems, issues then you're going to, I want you to start praying about that and quit talking about it or, or, you know, like pointing fingers and all that. Just start praying God changes hearts and lives, okay? And as a corporate group of God, how does, what, what do you want to do with us? How are you going to use us, right? Begin to reveal yourself. Like God revealed himself to Abraham. That was pretty clear of how he did that, right? And God still does those kind of things. As mystical as that seems and as weird as that may sound to some of us, God still speaks to his church, okay, in a variety of ways. So we're going to begin praying that he will do that. And here's one of my favorite sayings. When leadership or people do from the outside in what God is doing from the inside out, where those meet, that is an explosion of joy and incredible blessing upon a church. We sang about blessing this morning, and I thought, oh, God, please, in front of us and behind us. You did a great job with that song. Behind us, in front of us, around us, God bless this church. And when his face, one little phrase in that song said, and turn his face upon us. When God turns his face upon a person or a family or a church, every change, everything changes. Everything. And that's what we're praying. God just changes. Um, so would you bow with me? Would you pray as I pray? We're going to pray together. I'm going to pause for a minute just to give us all a time. I need to catch my breath. 
just start praying in your own way, under your voice, not out loud. Just, um, just begin to pray for one another, for yourself, for your leadership. God, thank you for your love for each one of us individually in this room as we know the gospel has taught us and shown us that you died, Lord, for, for all of us to come to know you. God, thank you for that sacrifice of your son. And as we think this morning a little differently about the corporate body, the collective group of us and the health of us, we know equally you love us. And so, Lord, we just admit our, our frailty at this time as a church. COVID, the 2000s, whatever the dynamics in America, Lord, your church is suffering. And God, we know it breaks your heart greater than ours. And we're asking for a fresh wind of your spirit upon us. We're asking that you would show us what it means to be relevant, to be intentional in this generation to not care as much about the past as we care about right now and we care about tomorrow. So Lord, would you begin to work, Lord, from the inside out of each of our hearts? You said to the church of Ephesus, your hands are busy, but your heart is far from me. God, would you convict us of our hearts being cold and hard when our hands are busy and we're putting on a show? Lord, it's Halloween and many put on masks. God, would you, would you <clears throat> convict us to take our mask off? And admit we're all sinners. We're all in desperate need of your grace. Father, I pray for Doug. I pray for the elders. I, I pray for, um, Lord, all the leaders of this church, Lord, that you would just undergird them with strength and power and joy for this journey. Lord, I pray against the evil one, Satan, who would want to destroy or discourage. Lord, that we would say, no, Satan, get behind me. For you have sent your son to build your church and you've said the gates of hell will not prevail against her. God, let us be a part of your body of Christ that prevails in these days. I thank you for the spirit in this room. I thank you for the energy that I have felt being here this morning of people who love you and care for this church and, and are invested here for years and years. I pray, God, you would not give them any spirit of fear, but God, of, of power and of love and a sound mind. God, as we walk through these days together, give us unity, Father, as we walk together during these days of, of reflection and of answering questions and of being willing to look in the mirror clearly and to be willing to repent and change, God, according to your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you feel okay about this, I know it's been a little different. Would you just say amen? amen. All right, good. I think that's... I'm used to people voting, and I, I appreciate that you don't have to vote, but I want to know you're, we're in it, right? It's going to take all of us, okay? It really is. It's just not a few. It's all of us seeking God and moving together. So I appreciate that sense of unity that I, I sense in this room.